It's a real privilege to be able to share with you this morning, and um, I, uh, I can actually remember when Leon was in your role, Daniel, and um, I was part of a youth group at another local Anglican church, and uh, the three churches would get together and do, like, rock and roll. What were they called, Leon? The Rock. The Rock. And I can remember coming and sitting and being a part of that. And, uh, and I think uh, Narrabeen Baptist Church has had a long legacy of um, making disciples, uh, in particular of young people, and seeing that filter through, I think, to the, to the church community and to go on and make a difference, I think, in our world. So I, it's a real privilege to be able to be here this morning and to share with you. Uh, if you were to have taken a poll during high school as to the person kind of least likely to stand on a platform uh, and speak in front of people, I would have been at the top of the list. Sure, I was a bit of a, a class clown and I enjoyed the attention, but the thought of actually speaking in front of people absolutely terrified me. Hands up if that describes you in any way slightly. I can remember the first time I stood up in church to give an announcement. I cried. It's pretty embarrassing uh, for a 15-year-old boy and clearly not the type of attention that I was after. How many of you find that by focusing on your weaknesses that it can prevent you from getting skin in the game, getting involved? Whether it's a a physical weakness uh, like the limitation of money or the life stage that you find yourself in or something practical like public speaking. It could also be a character weakness, uh, like the desire to control, uh, FOMO, which is fear of missing out. Focusing on your weaknesses can be paralyzing, right? It can prevent you from getting skin in the game, and you can wind up on the bench. Or worse, a spectator kind of cheering from the sideline. I want you to think about when you're a kid. For some of you, that's a bit easier than others. Right? Think about when you were a kid. How many of you grew up wanting to be the next uh, Don Bradman, Dawn Fraser, insert sporting superstar or music hero here? How many of you grew up wanting to be the next one? <laughs> I want you to compare that with, as a child, how many of you grew up wanting to watch the next Don Bradman or Dawn Fraser? As kids, nothing can stop us dreaming and scheming about being in the game. And yet at some point, our dreams shift to holding season tickets in the members' stand. Despite my um, weakness and fear uh, with public speaking, God uh, continues to put me in places where, where this has been required. And I'm a slow learner. You can ask my wife and you can ask my parents I'm a slow learner, and I still often end up hiding behind my weaknesses. Uh, But in these moments, God is teaching me to shift my focus from my own weakness or limitation or the situation that I might find myself in onto his power, his character. That's a big part of what faith is, isn't it? Focusing on the power and the character of God not on our own weaknesses or limitation or the situation that we might find ourselves in. When Jesus' disciples ask him to increase their faith in Luke chapter 17, verse 5, he shifts the focus away from the quantity of faith to the object of faith. 
Jesus says, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. By referring to the tiny mustard seed, after being asked about increased faith, Jesus deflects attention away from the quantity of faith to the object of faith. God moves mulberry trees. And it doesn't depend uh, decisively on the quantity of their faith, but on his power. Speaking from his own personal experience, the Apostle Paul says that God's power is made perfect in weakness. This is Paul, who was beaten, shipwrecked, in prison, who at face value is weak and defeated so often. God's power is made perfect in weakness. A guy called Timothy Gombus uh, points out that Paul sees his own life and ministry as a cosmically significant performance of God's triumph over evil. Isn't that amazing? How do you see your life? How do you see your ministry? Is it a life of cosmic significance? Does it demonstrate and declare God's triumph over evil? God's triumph through Christ? He also says that God's intent is that through the church, his manifold wisdom would be made known. What about the church? Do you see the cosmic significance of a community of people here in Narrabeen, in Collaroy, in DY, in Avalon? Do you see the cosmic significance of a community of people in all of these places who believe the good news of Jesus Christ and who live in light of this so that the world may know? We're going to look today at um, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. So if you have your Bibles, feel free uh, to bring it out. If you know uh, much about Ephesians, uh, it was lit, written to a group of churches. It's a, it's a cyclical letter, a letter that was designed to be passed around and read out at a whole bunch of churches that were in a city, in the city of Ephesus and the surrounding regions. It was written by Paul. So this is Paul speaking, and he says, Although I am less than the least... Of all the Lord's people. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, speaking from a place of acknowledging his weakness, his limitation. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. You see, it wasn't Paul's greatness, was it? It was God's grace to him, in him, and through him. It continues. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. In these few verses which we're we're going to unpack, we get a glimpse into how Paul understood his own purpose and the purpose of the church. 
Paul's purpose and the purpose of the church collide in the starting of new churches. Today I want to share with you why everybody, all of you, should be involved at some level in the starting of new churches. And that's because new churches are the fruit of the gospel. What do I mean by this? When a healthy tree grows, it produces fruit, provided it's a fruit tree, but we'll we'll run with that. When a healthy tree grows, it produces fruit. This fruit then falls to the ground, it decomposes, the seeds take root, and a new tree is born. This process continues to repeat itself wherever there is a tree that is healthy. One of the principles of creation is that all living things are designed to reproduce, each according to their kind. Plants bearing seeds, trees bearing fruit, each according to their kind. Even people, humankind. We were given a a lime tree by some really close friends at Guymere Baptist, which is the church that I worked at before we planted and who we planted in partnership with. And we were given a lime tree from them when we moved uh, back to DY to start H3O. This lime tree travelled with us uh, for the six years that my wife and I moved around 11 times in DY. Uh, And the irony is, in that whole time, it never produced any fruit. We were church planting. Come on, God, at least give us a fruitful lime tree. And And then so last year... I, I threw it into the green waste. But the ability to produce fruit... I know when I tell people that, they go, do you know that lime trees actually take longer than seven years to produce fruit? <laughs> anyway, I will learn. The next lime tree I'll let live for seven years. Um, but the ability to produce fruit and therefore reproduce is a sign of health, isn't it? The ability to reproduce also prevents extinction, Right? The reality is, if you don't reproduce, you'll become extinct. I want you to think about some of the metaphors used in the Bible to describe the church. Okay? So we've got the the bride of Christ, a husband and his bride reproduce. We've got the body of Christ. The body is a living thing. It grows and it reproduces. The family of God In Genesis, we're told that a man is to leave his parents to find a wife and to start a new family, to go on and to multiply. Even when the church is described as a building, as the temple in Ephesians, it's described as increasing, as growing. The church is a living organism. Did you know there are seven characteristics that make something a living thing? Two of these is that it grows and that it reproduces. Reproduction is in the DNA of the church. If we don't reproduce ourselves as disciples and as churches, it begs the question, are we living? So who gives a fig? That's my lame pastor joke that a friend of mine put me onto. Jesus Matthew 21, 18 to 19 says, Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. I love this passage because it just epitomizes the humanity of Jesus, doesn't it? 
He was hungry. Hands up if you get hungry. It's what happens when you're alive. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it because he was hungry. And he found nothing on it except leaves. Now, I bet you wish you could do this. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When I finished school, I moved to the UK to work with an organisation called Soul Survivor. And uh, the church in London was in decline, like the rest of uh, Europe was at that point. And um, within about a week of landing, we held an event at St Paul's Cathedral uh, to launch Soul in the City London. Hands up if you've ever seen or been to St Paul's Cathedral in London. It's absolutely stunning, isn't it? For a long time, it was the tallest building in the whole of the city of London. It was designed by Britain's most famous architect, Sir Christopher Wren, in the 1600s. It's one of those um, cathedrals that you walk into and it creates that sense of awe and wonder as your eyes kind of fix on the marble floor, you see the choir stalls and then you look up and it's just, it's magnificent. Soul in the City um, was a partnership between local churches in which uh, the gospel was both um, declared in word and demonstrated in deed. And so here we were in this old historical cathedral and it was packed to overflowing with passionate, young, spirit-filled worshippers. It was so full that um, Tim Hughes, who was one of the worship pastors at Soul Survivor at the time, was standing on the front steps of St. Paul's Cathedral in the cold English winter. This was February. It was bitterly cold. And he was leading worship through a megaphone because Matt Redmond was inside leading worship with the band, but Tim was on the front steps leading worship through a megaphone for those hundreds of people that had gathered but couldn't fit into the building. Isn't that an incredible picture? This was the launch, which was in 2003. In 2004, we had the mission to London, in which thousands of young people from around the country and all over the world converged on London to declare together the good news of Jesus Christ and to demonstrate that in practical deeds. So that was 2004. From 2005 to 2012, weekly attendance in church services throughout London grew by 16%. Churches were being planted throughout the city. And there was an article in The Economist. Uh, Hands up if you've heard of The Economist. So it's not Christianity Today, is it? There was an article in in The Economist titled, Go Forth and Multiply. And the byline was, London supplies England with wealth, culture, and increasingly Christians. Out of London, churches were being planted around the country and throughout the world. We even had churches planted here in New South Wales in partnership with the Baptist Association as fruit of the gospel being preached in London during that time. In the parable of the sower, the seed of the gospel that falls in good soil produces a crop 100, 60, 30 times what was sown. New churches are the fruit of of the gospel. What will be the crop produced by the seed planted here in 1950 at Narrabee? It was 1950, wasn't it? 59.60. 59.60. I gave you guys an extra nine years there. Imagine. 
as I said, it's already been happening, hasn't it? What will be the crop produced? In Ephesians 3, uh, the passage that we're looking at, Paul is talking about his commission to preach the gospel. And we know, don't we, that uh, Paul had a specific commission to preach the gospel. But even so, what we see in Acts chapter 8 is that uh, when the Christians in Jerusalem experience persecution and they're scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, that as Acts chapter 8 verse 4 tells us, they preached the word wherever they went. These were fishermen, merchants, mums and dads, everyday people like you and like me, everywhere they went, they preached the word. And this shouldn't surprise us, should it? In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says that his followers will be filled with his Holy Spirit and that they would be his witnesses to Jerusalem or Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then the book of Acts is this compelling story, isn't it, of uh, the gospel being preached, disciples being made, leaders being empowered and new churches coming into existence, isn't it? The Manila Manifesto um, came out of the 1989 Lausanne uh, Congress, Second Congress on World Evangelism. And uh, it has this statement that they kind of prepared. And it says, The gospel creates the church, which spreads the gospel, which creates more churches in a continuous chain reaction. So when I returned from the UK, I had this deep conviction from God to plant churches. The problem was this conviction became confused with cynicism, which then turned into a critical view of the church. I thought that I could do better. And yet God, in his infinite wisdom, led me to work for Guy Baptist Church before being let loose on any new um, church. Gomi Baptist is like every other uh, contemporary local Baptist church. Uh, you experience the good, the bad, the beautiful, and the ugly. I can remember um, sitting down with one of the founding members of the church, he's in his 90s, to discuss the role of hymns in our church services around a Chinese dinner that I'm sure I got sick from. I can remember uh, like key people, in, uh, team leaders in my team that couldn't keep their hands off each other. Some of these it was romantically and others it was fisticuffs. They just couldn't do it. It's it the everyday experience. Maybe Narrabeen doesn't have any of those. Uh, is this being recorded? <laughs> I just won't tell Guy Mir. Um, but yeah, it, just, it was one of those experiences where you, where you experience the plethora of church life. And yet... My time at Guymere Baptist, God taught me to love the church as Christ loves his church, his bride, laying his life down for her, loving through these things. So here's a bit of advice. If you don't love the church, don't start one. So many churches are started by people who don't love the church. It's like getting married to someone who you don't love or even like just because you want to change them. It's not going to work. You'll end up hurting yourself and a whole bunch of other people. What I learned from my time in the UK and at Guymere Baptist is that you should plant churches because you love the church and because you believe in her created purpose to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. I want you to take a moment 
and uh, look at the people who are around you. So don't just do this. Stand up, maybe, and, and have a look at the people who are around you, okay? This is a chance to move as well. Have a look at the people around you. Look at this motley crew. Okay, you guys love each other a little bit too much. <laughs> These guys are really getting on. It's in your togetherness that God's wisdom is revealed. I want you to think about the churches across the northern beaches, not just Baptist. Um, I want you to think about the churches across the northern beaches. It's in our togetherness that God's wisdom is revealed. I know this is confusing, but it's also confounding for the evil spiritual forces who are into uh, division and disunity. Therefore, our togetherness, your togetherness within this community is actually a demonstration of God's victory over them, God's victory through Christ. In Ephesians, Paul talks a bit about the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. And this would have been really familiar for his audience uh, because of the landscape, the cultural landscape at that time. It's a bit foreign to us. But there's uh, a really important thing to note between uh, the difference of God, Yahweh, and these other supposed deities. In Bible passages that express the absolute difference between Yahweh, God, the God of Israel and these other supposed deities, God's ability to create is what is highlighted. God's ability to create is what sets him apart. Psalm 96 verse 5 is an example of this. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord, Yahweh, made the heavens. It's God's power to create that sets him apart. And we see this comparison here in Ephesians 3 also. There's this sense of movement from verse 8 to verse 10 where the church gradually comes into view. The starting point is Paul preaching to the Gentiles. And then in verse 10, the church appears. God calls the church into existence through Paul's preaching. As Paul, who at face value is weak and defeated, as he preaches the boundless riches of Christ, God creates and builds his church. And this coming into being is a striking declaration to the cosmic rulers that our God reigns, that God is powerful. As I said, the, the rule of the powers and the authorities um, is characterized by um, destruction, by division, by disunity, oppression. And yet God demonstrates his power over them by his ability to create one new united people who are united in their love for him and in their love for one another. This creation of the church, one new united people under Christ, is a surprising declaration of God's power over and above the destructive forces. This is why unity is so important in the Bible. This is why in Ephesians, Paul encourages the churches in that region to remain united in the Spirit. Nikki Gumbel, who uh, is the, 
is the pastor at Holy Trinity Brompton, which is the church that created the Alpha Course. Um, it's in London. Anyway, he, when he talks about um, the key to the turnaround of the church in London, he puts it down to this whole idea of unity. The biggest success of Soul in the City, the mission, was that it unified for the first time nearly a thousand churches across London. Catholics, Church of England, Baptists, the black majority churches, Pentecostals, everyone united in their vision to declare and to demonstrate the good news of Jesus Christ. Everybody should be involved in starting new churches at some level because we're all involved in unity. We're all involved in preaching the good news of Jesus. We're all involved in making disciples. We're all involved in empowering and setting aside some for for roles of leadership. The new churches are just the fruit of this activity. When we live out our commission, God creates and builds his church. During my time at Gaimi Baps, uh, we went through a really large building project. And um, a key part of the message that Carl, um, Carl Faze, who was the senior minister of the church at the time, a key um, part of the message that he spoke was that growth in the kingdom of God is one committed personal way. That we don't need to wait for institutions and organisations to bring about growth and change. But that God is calling and sending all of us into new things. And he used the reproductive illustration of a starfish. I don't know if you've heard this before. But with a starfish, you can break off a leg and and discard it into the ocean. And the discarded leg can turn into a starfish in its own right. And the, the existing starfish produces another leg or something like that. But there's this reproductive DNA in, in a starfish that each part of it contains the whole. And he used that. And at the end of the message, he then asked anyone who felt like that they were being um, called or sent to stand. I'll tell you what, there is nothing more exhilarating than watching someone who you love discover God's created purpose for them. And my wife Ainsley stood in this moment I'd felt called to church plant for years, but I wasn't going to do it until she felt like this was a calling for us together. And she just stood up in that moment, overcoming all of her questions, all of her doubts and about weakness and limitation. It's a powerful thing. This doesn't mean that we all need to move suburbs and leave Narrabeen Baps, but it's actually a shift in the way in which we think about ourselves as the people of God. Alan Hirsch uh, says that there's no such thing as an unsent Christian. It's a posture, a kingdom posture, where we're sent into our communities, we're sent into, our, into the local cafes, into our workplaces, into the soccer teams that we're a part of. We're sent as ambassadors to declare and to demonstrate the good news of Jesus Christ, to love each other and to love the world. And within a year, Gaimi felt the consequences of this kingdom posture. They sent uh, four key pastoral staff onto new ministries, some into church planting, some onto the mission field, some into other senior pastoral roles at other local churches. They felt the cost. And in partnership with Gaimi Baptist and the Baptist Association was how we uh, planted H3O Church in DY. 
And uh, if you want to find out more about that, please come and talk to me after this. And maybe that's a story if I get an invite back that I could share at another time. But I'm not going to go into that now. Uh, But I do want to leave you uh, with this one thought. If the gospel creates the church, which spreads the gospel, which creates more churches in a continuous chain reaction, do you have skin in the game? Or are you distracted by your weaknesses, your limitations, your life stage? What does it look like to participate with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as he brings hope and life and light to the community of Narrabeen, of Collaroy, Avalon, the Northern Beaches and the ends of the earth? Can I pray for you? Yeah. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that reminder that it was because you loved the world so much that you gave your son Jesus to save it, to save us. Father, I thank you that we have been caught up in this story of restoration, redemption, reconciliation, peace, justice, wholeness. All of these signs of the inbreaking kingdom. I thank you that we've been caught up in this story of love. Father, I pray that you would help us to focus on that. Not on our weaknesses or our limitations or the things um, that can distract us, but that we would step into our created purpose as those who are sent to be a blessing. God, I thank you for this church community here, this family that have worshipped you and honoured you since 1959. I thank you for the stories of the seeds that were planted all of those years ago and the fruit that we have seen come from them. God, we look forward to the next 50, 60, 70 years to see what more comes from this group now. We long to see your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.